Hey, you're listening to Sound Plus Doctrine, the podcast of Sovereign Grace Music. Sovereign Grace Music exists to produce Christ-exalting songs and training for local churches from local churches. For more information and free resources, you can check out SovereignGraceMusic.org. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hope you're doing well. I am David Zimmer. And I'm Bob Coughlin. And uh, as you know, this is the Sound Plus Doctrine podcast, and we are so happy that you're with us. Amen. Um, Bob, I wanted to talk today about um, the topic, Music is Great, Jesus is Greater. Excellent. For um, some of our listeners uh, that attended the Worship God Conference, Mm. they would have remembered this topic. Mm. Uh, If they were not there, um, you uh, spoke on this at the Sing Conference in Nashville. Yeah. Um, as Shepherd's Conference out in California, um, this seems to be something that's very clearly on your heart. Oh, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Something you're you're passionate about. Yeah, a little bit. Both of those things, music and Jesus. Yes. Um, But I think, um, especially as this podcast will probably be a two-part series, Mm. uh, since uh, there's probably a lot to talk about on this topic. Definitely. I, I wanted to start with music. Um, huh. because, uh, music is great. Music is great. Yeah. <laughs> and you have given your life, uh, to uh, making music, writing songs, uh, writing melodies. And so I, I thought it'd be really fun to just, uh, ask you questions about your love for music. Sure. Where did your love for music sure. start? Probably, uh, my mom made us in the home. My mom made, uh, uh, all, all the kids. I had uh, one brother, two sisters. We all had to learn how to play piano. Okay, forced my, to play piano. Forced, yeah, to some <laughs> degree. My brother did accordion for like one year. Wow, because it was cool. I think he thought it was cool for a while, huh? But not for very long. So, anyway, <laughs> we we had a musical home. Uh, my mom loved music, so I just kind of grew up with it. We mm. we listened to groups like the Swingle Singers, mm. um, probably a lot of classical music. And so at eight years old, I started playing piano, started taking lessons. And then it was, I think when I was about 12, that I realized you could play stuff that you heard on the radio, like play by ear. Mm. That opened up a whole new world. So it wasn't just, you know, piano lessons, which a lot of people don't like, especially kids don't like taking piano lessons. Yeah, The technical side and all the... Um, technique and stuff and boring teachers and yeah I mean good teachers um, I learned music theory which I did love mm. uh, for whatever reason and I'm so glad if you're if you're a musician a young musician especially learn music theory it will serve you for your entire life mm. um, but that that area of playing by ear led into writing songs when I was 12 13 and um yeah, just I started to branch out in terms of the kinds of music I wanted to listen to. Mm. Oh, so what would be like some of your greatest influences? Oh wow! So classically, Aaron Copland, mm. a song called uh, a ballet he did wrote for called uh, Appalachian Spring. Oh, I used to yeah. listen to that constantly. Um, his writing the a group called the Association. They were a vocal group. Which, if you know my history, that's no surprise. Um, certainly, the Beatles, mm. uh, a lot of singer-songwriter uh, back in the early '70s. Um, you know, Joni Mitchell was one. Somebody uh, mm. I'm blanking right now, but uh, just yeah, people who made beautiful melodies. James Taylor, mm. uh, the Beach Boys. You know, those those kind of groups. Just loved. Never got really into rock 
so much. I mean, I tried to, mm-hmm. uh, but really loved someone who could write a great melody with with meaningful lyrics. Mm. That just that still appeals to me. Mm. Uh, that was what I was. Oh, gonna... sorry, I forgot. Steely Dan was a huge influence in okay. terms of uh, just harmonic creativity or well, musicality. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. I mean, great musicians. Yes, a group called Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, are you more drawn to lyrics or melody? I mean, you said both. Yeah. But yeah. I mean... Both. Do yeah, both have move both. you equally? Uh, in different ways. Okay. So I remember uh, listening to a Beethoven piano sonata in the car driving. This was in the, in the early 90s and like just starting to weep because I thought it was so beautiful. Mm. So music definitely can affect me. Yeah. I would have to say not as much as a well-written lyric that's accompanied by well-written music. Mm. That's better. Mm. Because it it gives definition to the music. You know, I know why this music moves me. So that's why great songwriters... Um, you know, I think uh, well, secular artist Sarah Bareilles is a great songwriter. Mm. Her lyrics can be just so creative. I mean, mm-hmm. there Joni Mitchell, I think, is still a great songwriter. There's a there's a new um, artist, Maddie Cunningham, who I know her dad, Scott Cunningham. He he's head of the worship school uh, for Calvary Chapel. Yeah, um, it's similar to Joni Mitchell, right? Some very creative, thoughtful lyrics. Well, an and, excellent guitarist, a musician, yeah, and yeah, singer, yeah, and, the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, you know, as far as Christian lyricists, musicians, someone like Sarah Groves or Andrew Peterson, one of my favorite um, lyricists and musicians. Just when it comes together to produce a song like um, "Is He Worthy," it's just so so moving. Um, but I've listened to his albums, a number of his albums, many times, and found found them very moving. Well, yeah, and I mean, "Dancing in the Minefields" was the first yes. song I ever heard from him. Yes, and even though that wasn't necessarily like you know, uh, is he worthy kind of right. uh, song, it's still like you know, excellent lyrics, excellent it ta- melody. It talks about profound things, right? You know, things that mean something that relate to life in the big sense but in a very personal way well he has a yeah he absolutely has a way of simplifying big concepts yeah 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 Yeah. and and that's what every really great lyricist can do exactly is pull those like macro micro things big ideas into small phrases something that affects everybody that sounds like it was just meant for you (laughs) right that's a great way to put it so hard to do yeah that's a great way to put it so but you have been writing songs for I mean, you said since you were in high school. I used to write lots of songs in high school, mostly for girls. I would, this is so bad. I would uh, see a girl, I'd say, I want to take her out, and I would write her a song. And then I'd play the song, and of course, she would just be, oh, this is so amazing. And I'd say, hey, there's a dance coming up. Do you want to come? Back to school dance. You want to come? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, yeah, I did that many times. And those would be this, you would just make slight tweaks, like no, brown no, eyes, blue eyes. That's so wrong. I would come up with fresh ideas. Oh, my goodness. And just... I mean, I'm sure they were they were bad, but <laughs> they were from the heart, and so they were the girls liked them. That's amazing. Yeah. So, how when did that switch from, <laughs> from loves petty love songs in high school to songs more that, meaningful songs? More <laughs> meaningful songs. Not well, that those aren't bad songs, but when what was the switch that um, 
I mean, when you got saved. Yes, yeah, so seventeen. Freshman so when in you were, were you, when you were a freshman in college, that was there a shift like when you entered Glad, which I think was much later. Was there a there was a big shift in your songs? Well, actually, Glad, if you didn't know, this was this group back in the well, they have been a group for a long time. Um, but I was in Glad in college. Um, but we would just we were playing dances and you know college parties and stuff. Um, it wasn't until '76, graduated from college, that we started. We're saying we're a Christian band, hmm. and so during that time, I'd be after I became a Christian '72. I definitely started writing songs more purposefully about the Lord. Hmm. Not all of them, but definitely moved in that direction. And by the time we went full time in '76, I think all the songs I was writing were about in some in some way the Lord and wanting to draw people to him because mm. i thought he's more important than the music you're hearing so even back then i was mm. thinking i had that thought um that that what as good as music might make you feel jesus is better and mm. so i want to use my music to direct you towards him mm. so that was going on then well, I mean, right along those lines, like as someone who has given their life to uh, me- making music, writing songs, have you felt that temptation uh, to sort of mix your affections? Like it, it, that gets complicated when you have, so, you know that music is so moving yeah, and so powerful and so incredible. Uh, and it can also be a tool to share the glories and beauty of who mm. Jesus is as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So have you ever been tempted to mix those affections? And what would you say to someone who feels really drawn to music and maybe uh, not as drawn to Jesus? Well, yes, I have felt those that, that tension. And um, I think this whole, this podcast and the next one, and maybe a third, I don't know, is going to be addressing that, what I'd say to someone. But I want to share a quote with you that like, has to deal with this. Yeah. From Augustine, it's from his confessions, where he was kind of chronicling his relationship with the Lord, how he came to believe in Christ. Mm-hmm. He struggled with music in particular. And you know, before I share it, I, you know, music is powerful in itself. When you, when you bring it into the church, it, it's even more significant. You know, you're, you're using it to, to magnify the triune God, you're to, to teach and admonish each other. We're, we're stirring up our affections for Christ. It's helping us feel the truth. I think mm. that's what music does in the church. It helps us feel the truth. Mm. God doesn't want to simply um, you know, speak to our minds. He wants to speak to our hearts, our affections, uh, you know, I our emotions that. even. Um, and he wants us to feel why these things are so significant. Mm-hmm. Um, music at the same time helps us express things together, you know, as one. So there are a lot of reasons why music is so significant. Yeah. But it can be a temptation. It can be a temptation to love the gift more than the giver. So listen to this quote. Mm. This is Augustine says, he's talking about the, uh, the, his response when he's sitting in the middle of Christians singing beautifully. He says, I waver between the danger that lies in gratifying the senses through music and the benefits which, as I know from experience, can accrue from singing. So he's saying singing is a good thing. Mm. Without committing myself to an irrevocable opinion, 
I am inclined to approve of the custom of singing in church in order that by indulging the ears, weaker spirits may be inspired with feelings of devotion. Mm. Yet, when I find the singing itself more moving than the truth which it conveys, I confess that this is a grievous sin, and at those times, I would prefer not to hear the singer. Wow. I mean, he was really grappling with this issue of, which do I love more? Do I love Jesus, or do I love the sound of singing? I mean, I remember a time, uh, I hadn't been a Christian too long, maybe six, seven years, when I became convicted, it may not even been that long, I became convicted that I don't want Jesus to be replaced by music. And I, I said, I'm just going to stop playing piano for, you know, for a time because I may be loving the music more than Jesus. I mean, it was a struggle to, mm-hmm. to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But Paul says in Colossians 3.16, makes it very clear, what's to be dwelling in us when we're singing or listening to music? He says, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The word of Christ, not musical experiences, not technological creativity, not the size and volume, not skill and excellence. I mean, all those things have their place, but what's to dwell in us richly is the word of of Christ, the mm-hmm. gospel, the good news that Jesus left his throne and became like us, took on flesh so that he might live a perfect life and die in our place as a substitute for our sins, mm-hmm. taking the wrath we deserved, and then rise from the dead saying that that payment was sufficient and that we could too could have a resurrection life. That's the gospel, and yeah, that's pretty amazing, and that's greater, that's better than the music we use to praise him with. Mm. So I, I have a passion for this. I think every Christian musician should have a passion for this. And so last year, I think it was 2019, we, um, we had the conference, Worship God Conference, entitled it, The Glorious Christ, Music is Great, Jesus is greater. Because I yeah. think as musicians, we can really struggle with this. Yeah. I think our churches can struggle with this. Yeah, right. And I, I think we can kind of confuse like the feeling that music gives us versus the affections that Jesus wants to give us. Right. Um, you know, we have a whole industry built up around it. And there, yeah. there's some good things about that industry in the mm. sense that it, it makes music for the church so accessible. Yeah. To, to Christians. You know, yeah. we have more songs more instantly accessible to us than any time in the history of the world. Yeah, right. Which is great. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it starts to flip. Right. It, it can easily flip where, you know, Jesus is serving our musical desires. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even going back to that quote, uh, which is an excellent quote, um, by the way. Uh, where he says, I see a great benefit, Augustine, I see a great benefit in our singing, in our gathering. Um, But to make it a grievous sin to be putting... The the you know singer above the message or the or music above the the meaning, uh, the word dwelling rich within yes. us. I don't think most of us would see it as a grievous sin. <laughs> yeah. So uh, even unpacking that, um, 
how would you unpack that? Well, it's like hearing. It's like, and you know, we can get it. We'll get into more details of this. But it's like um, hearing someone sing, or or hearing a band play on a Sunday morning, and being more impressed with a band, or caring more about who's playing the guitar, mm. or who's singing the lead mm-hmm. vocal, than the content of the songs that are being sung, mm. like. That's not good. Mm. But our churches are filled with people like that. And sometimes yeah. we train them to be like that. We, yeah. s- we train them to be more emotionally responsive to arrangements and instrumentation than we do content. Right. So we're, you know, we're beating ourselves over the head trying to think, of, you know, how can we make this song sound better? And what can we do? What, you know, what pad can we play? What track can we play that, that's going to make this sound better? And... And not giving as much attention, really, to what words we're actually singing. Yes. Which is upside down. Right. You know? And in God's economy, um, the the words are what drive everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it's why we we have the Psalms and not a soundtrack for the Psalms. Right. I mean, I love soundtracks. Right. I listen to soundtracks all the time. Yeah. But a soundtrack is not going to move, change me morally. Mm. It's going to move me emotionally, mm. but good. God's God's interested in us being changed. Right. So when my church, and this is a sign that my church would would love m- music more than Jesus, or think music is greater than Jesus, when my church thinks more about the arrangements or the vocalist who's singing or the instrumentation, you know how how good exactly is that guitar player? And I'm all for great guitar players, but th- when our churches are thinking, oh, I love it when so-and-so's on the electric because they did right. those riffs, and it's just, that's a sign mm. that our people could be thinking that music is greater than Jesus. Yeah. It's the, what is the driving force? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's excellent. That's, well, I, that's, I wanted to be helpful because yeah. it matters. Yeah. It matters. And yes. there are signs that our church is valuing music more than Jesus, and there are signs that we ourselves think music is greater right. than Jesus. Right, right, and right. I want to talk about those. I'm not sure that now's the time to do yeah. that. Yeah, no, I think, that's a great pl- I think that's a great place to, uh, to stop on the conversation because... Um, I know there's so much more uh, you can be we can be talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, that that music is great. Jesus is greater. Amen. And uh, we'll we'll pick that up again on another podcast. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Sound Plus Doctrine, the podcast of Sovereign Grace Music. For more information, free sheet music, translations, and training resources. You can visit us at SovereignGraceMusic.org.